In this episode, we dive deep into the question of what matters most in determining success in your business and find a root answer that blows us all away. Stay till the end for a challenge that can really stretch your growth as you journey towards success. You are listening to the Fifth Hammer Growth Podcast, where we help you find harmony in imperfection as you journey towards success in life and in business. Here's my new, this is, this is how I'm going to start buying clothes. I mean, this is just, it just pisses me off when you find a hat, especially in the hat scenario, because hats change constantly. Dude, they, shoes are the same way though. If you find a shoe that fits and that you love, it's yeah. Keep going. So, I, go no, but it's, it, you're, you're exactly right. So, um, hats specifically because they, they'll do a run of hats and they won't do it ever again. Like they'll just run a hat. They'll do like 5,000 hats and they sell out and they do 5,000 different hats. So I get onto the like the different hat kits where I like it. So now my new way of buying hats. And the problem is, especially in summertime, you ever get those uh, sweatbands? Yeah. The, and uh, so all of a sudden. And then your hat's ruined. You wear a hat like once and it's like in the middle of 110 degree weather. And all of a sudden it's like so gross you can't put it on again. Mm. So I actually buy five to ten hats of the same one at a time now. Oh, that's smart. Wow. So, and, so what I do is I wear a hat. And then if I start getting little sweat rings, then I can wear that in the yard now. Right. And then, or I can wear it to go the pool to the pool or I can wear it somewhere. And then I take a new hat. So now I have a new hat that I don't sweat in and it's the same hat, just no sweat rings. And then when that other hat that get like, if I wear that more, it gets this. Now I wear it to like do hard labor and for like, cause yeah. I do hard labor, you know, but, <laughs> but I do You're it. Doing all that hard so labor. I have, I have this one hat that I've, I've started doing this with this one hat. It's one of my billabong hats that I wear. You guys have seen. I have five stages of hats <laughs> in different stages of sweat. Breathing. I'll take a picture and send do it. Do it. That's hilarious. Freaking five stages awesome. of it's awareness the, in a hat form. Seriously, it comes <laughs> down to the point where it's like, oh, then I go coaching. If I now I can yeah. wear that crappy one at practice, but I'll put on one that has less sweat rings to to a game. And why don't we do that more? I guess some of it's obviously monetarily driven, but like I was just thinking about how he goes through the same thing with his shoes, yeah. his basketball shoes. And I did with my basketball shoes. I found one that I loved and then it was discontinued and I had to start mm -hmm. over. Buy like two or three of the same pair. I do it with yeah. polo shirts now. I'll buy like five of the same shirt. Yeah. So I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And then and I have four pairs of these shoes in different colors and I wish I would have bought 10. Yeah. yeah you see what I mean? And yeah. it's that situation where it's like, I, so when I, I went to the van store and I took five of these up and, and I bought five and the guy looked at me and was like, you're buying five. I'm like, yeah, yeah. cause you're not going to have these in three months when I need another one. Right. So he's like, what the hell are you doing with your hats? My <laughs> wife hates it, dude. My vans are out of control and my hat are out of control. I have a special place in my house that I hide all of my unlike my brand new hats in so that my wife doesn't see where it is. Can you get like a secret arsenal room where it's like thumbprint and you go in and it's just a hat wall? Yeah, I have that, but <laughs> not for hats. <laughs> not for hats. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, no, but seriously, I have this, I have, I have a, a, a hidden place in my house that is all I'm buying. Like anything that I buy that's like, I already have one or two out. I put all the other ones there so that it's not like predominant that I have 50 hats. 
wait. So and, and then you don't use them and they're hidden. Yeah, I yeah. use them. I don't use them. It's part of your food storage. It is. No, it's, 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 my, it's my clothing <laughs> survival. Storage. But it's it's like that. It, you're right. It's absolutely right. It's how why why do why don't we buy more of what we want when we buy it? Because you're going to run out of that shirt and you'll never find it again. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, you remember me telling you the story of the Vols kind of customer journey? Yeah. Could fit into an old Polos. polo. Loved it. Couldn't find it anywhere else. So now I just buy multiple versions of it now. Yeah, no, that's smart. Well, let me let me uh, share something that's been top of mind, and this will this will guide our conversation today, which I already kind of teased with you guys. But there's been I just came off the an event, the Nutraceutical Innovation um, Summit, Nutravate. Fantastic event, great keynote speaker, um, great team, great CEO behind it, um, and then multiple conversations that we've had over the last year. And recently, even just this week with a, another colleague outside of this group, have really brought this back to the forefront of kind of my mindset. And I'm going to put first off, I'm just going to pose a question to you guys, open-ended. And I know you kind of know where I'm leading this. So, but just as, as unbiased and honest as you can, like answer this unfiltered without kind of knowing where it's going to go. And then I'll pose the same question in a multiple choice scenario. And and see what you guys respond, and, and I'm going to say the same to the audience. So answer this as you're listening, like unfiltered, unbiased. Like, what's your honest, immediate response when I ask this question? Isn't the first rule of like like courtroom laws that you don't ask a question that you don't know the answer to? <laughs> oh, so I'm just saying <laughs> I don't know the answer. So, what matters most in determining how successful a business will be? What matters most? Anything. I mean, just gut reaction. Yeah. I think it's market. Okay. See, and I, I went to the people. I went culture. Yeah. And I think if you, we ask this question and you hear it all the time on podcast interviews and you hear about like, what's the characteristics of a successful leader or successful company, you get tens and dozens of different answers, yeah. right? And people will analyze and cross section those. So if I ask that same question, in a multiple choice format, which you kind of already already did. What what matters most in determining how successful a business will be? A product, B market, C team, people, right? Market, people. Um, and that's what I want to center our conversation around today, right? Those three elements and components that really make up any company and where they need to be to really have a successful company. We've I think had the luxury of being able to spend the last year and a half dissecting what made Microbe and Cellcore successful as we journeyed from zero to 50 in less than five years and sell for 200. What made that a success? And then we've had other career experiences since and before that maybe weren't as successful or successful at all and what didn't make those successful, right? So if we said, you know, what made X successful company great, and what prevented success at fill in the blank, right? I want to dive a little, a little deeper into those. Um, but before we go there, I want to I want to share with the audience how this kind of came to me and, and became part of our world because um, these have been conversations we've been having for a year now. But there's an uh, old, it's not even that old, it's, it, it closed down within the last year. But it was a tool similar to like Clarity FM, to one of these like mentorship type tools. And it was called Volley App. 
and it was a SaaS startup and their unique kind of differentiation was that it would be face-to-face video coaching, right? And to really try to bring in the human element to this. And they had some good funding. I think that, that they raised like 5 million in funding in 2021. And ultimately earlier this year, I think, or, or, or late last year, they shut down and they had a pop-up on their homepage of the founder kind of delivering a message and sharing why they shut down. And he pointed to this article that was written in 2007 by Mark Andreessen. And if you don't know Mark Andreessen, he's now a partner in Andreessen Horowitz, very successful, you know, one of the top venture capitalist firm, private equity firms that that exists today. Um, But he, in this article, he describes what matters most, product, market, team. And he actually... Um, you know, ca- carried the baton on from a guy named Andy Ratcliffe. And Andy put it this way, when a great team meets a lousy market, market wins. When a lousy team meets a great market, market wins. When a great team meets a great market, something special happens, right? Those are the unicorns. Those are the, like the incredible, right? One percenters. Um, What's the common theme through all of those? Market. Yeah. 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 I could take a dump in a bucket. And if the, there's a market there for that, it's going to sell. <laughs> Every time. I'm not saying that's what I want to do. But if we're talking about the like the low, low, low bottom of the barrel example, it's market. Before The team makes it special. Before you we're aware of the impact of market. What would you, how would you have responded? You think, what do you think? Product. Why? Because I had been a part of businesses that had lousy product and good product. And, and I thought the product was it. And then like when I came on board with microbe, microbe had good products. Cellcor had great, you know, great, good products. And I thought, and, and then when I saw the product and then the, and the consumer need, which is the market, I wasn't really considering that that was the actual mover was the wants and the desires of the consumer, which makes up the total market. It has, there has to be some like palpable desire there. And then it takes off. And then even a subpar product takes off into that market. A great product with a great team, something special happens. Like you said, it's magic. And it's interesting because I was um, thinking through this. I worked for a company early on in my career. This is like, 1998. So this is super early, 1998, 19, yeah. Um, for a company called 8x8, amazing company. Um, I think I've talked a little bit about them, but they are a they are a Stanford engineer company, engineering company, right? Most everybody coming out of there has some sort of tie to Stanford from an engineering standpoint. The CEO for a number of years was, you know, was amazing individual, super amazing guy, had a chance to, to work closely with him on a couple of different projects. But in 1998, they had a product called the Via TV. It was a set top POTS based telephone connection based video conferencing unit that plugged into your TV that had a camera on top that would connect to another Via TV somewhere else in the world through a phone line connection. So it has the old dial up, (laughs) makes the connection and you would be on a video call. 
Wow. In 98. In 98. And it wow. was it was revolutionary. I remember I, I got some. I gave one to my parents. The original Zoom. Yeah, it was the original. Seriously, I gave one to my parents. I went to their house and set it up, plugged it in, went back to my place in the barrier and like three hours away and set mine up. And we called and we talked to each other over video conferencing. Right. Super ahead of its time, like yeah. pioneered the space. I'm there. You walk into their office and. They've got patents on the wall like no others, all in uh, video compression and, and audio compression. And every, I mean, everything that they've pioneered that space. Um, the interesting thing about it is it didn't sell. Hmm. The market hmm. wasn't ready for it. It was an amazing product, but the market, but it was too soon. And, and, I've, and since then, I've, I've always thought about this concept of how many products in the world are shelved amazing products in the world are shelved because the market either wasn't ready or they just couldn't find the fit. So amazing. So, so now thinking through this amazing team. Yeah. Amazing team, amazing team, amazing product. One of my best friends ever came out of that company and we still, I mean, we're still super, I mean, I hung out just the other day. We're amazing, amazing team not the amazing product, no market. There's a, um, so when I was, I, I've kind of like, have you seen, there's like a meme, it's like a bell curve. And then the, somebody will take like a topic and it'll show like the noob mindset and then like the nerd, like advanced mindset. And then like the sage mindset hmm. and the sage mindset, say the crazy mindset, the but. sage mindset always matches the noob mind, the noob mindset, because the noob mindset is just the most basic, simplest version of what you're thinking of. And like the, the, like the, like the nerd, like advanced is kind of like trying to make it too complicated. Huh. What, what I'm trying to describe is my, you know, when I first started, I would, I would be told it's all about market. That's what marketing is. Hmm. That's what marketing a product is. It's market. But as I got into it, and like there's a little bit of this is ego too, I thought it was team at first because I thought I could create a market. And then now here I am 20 years later into my career, I'm just back to market hmm. and how the product right, fits. noob to advanced right. to, to sage. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. So are you saying you're a sage? <laughs> <laughs> I won't say that. <laughs> I'm heading in that direction. Uh, but it's, it, I think it's, it's a powerful concept to consider as you go into this, right? Because as we've been evaluating companies to, to, to work with and projects, um, we put, we put two, our, our top two things that we talk about a lot is product market fit. Yeah. Right. And, and we also talk about owner, founder, builder, influencer. Yeah. Right. So those to me are, those to me are a piece of a recipe that allows you to continue to build that on and to, to do something with it. Right. But it's that market is market is incredibly important. You can't discount the importance of a good product market fit, a good market for your product that can that can be sold into there. Well, I want to go back to what you said earlier because when I first asked you guys this question, I don't know months ago, nine months ago or more, your responses were very similar then. Um, but I think you now have a lot more knowledge. But like, why why do you go first to team? Why is that? And I think I know this, but like, I want to tease that because I think a lot of people go there, right? People matter most. People yeah. are your greatest asset. People but, first. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I go to team because it's who I'm going to work with. Mm. 
personally. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's, we have all been in situations where we've worked with that guy, right? Or those guys or that team, or we've all been, and, and regardless of how successful a company is or how tight the market is or, or that fit, if you're not happy at work, it doesn't freaking matter. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, team is team trumps market, not necessarily for the success of the company. And this is probably but the sex of the success of the person, but the success, but the my fulfillment own of the person. fulfillment and success. Yeah, I yeah, know. That's great. Right? Team team trumps market because you could have an extremely here's a perfect example. I, I went to uh, I went to, to lunch um, last week. Or no. Oh, crap. I went to lunch on Tuesday, <laughs> right? It's been one of those freaking weeks, right? You ever have that where everybody's Monday? Monday uh-huh. right? yeah. I went to lunch on Tuesday with, uh, with Brayden and Cassie. Um, it, Christina's birthday, my wife's birthday. We went to lunch and I'm talking to Brady and Cassie and, and they took over Polly Pitt that you guys know. We mm-hmm. were part of this. Um, and it's interesting because we looked at Polly Pitt as it's not growing fast enough. It's not there. We don't have product market fit. We and and so we kind of pulled away from it. We gave it to Braden and Cassie, like, hey, you guys take it and run with it. You know, guys, it's providing them their lifestyle right now. It's it's we because we've cut way back, it's now profitable right. and it's doing what it needs to. But the interesting thing about it is in talking with Braden and Cassie, they were talking about how they have grown closer together as a couple. This is my son, Braden, and my and and his wife. Um my daughter-in-law, they're less than married, less than a year. They've been able to grow closer together because they're working close together and they're having fun with this and it's providing for them and it's giving them the things that they need. And it's starting to like grow a little bit, not at the rate we wanted it to obviously, because we just wanted a freaking or what a buyer would deem as successful. But that's what I was going to say. As you were talking, I was like, and I've thought about this before too, like what defines success? You know, there are small cash flowing businesses that the market may not be that big, but there is a market and they're successful in that market because they have a good product and a good team. And that's, that's poly pet. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to go, it's not going to have a $50 million exit, but it's providing a, an amazing lifestyle for my son and his new wife. It could be a mid six figure business and yeah. if it is profitable then it's a successful business. Yeah. So, yeah. It, so then it, that's, yeah. and that's exactly kind of where I was going because what defines success, right? Well, that ties back to an episode, one of the first episodes we did, right? And how do you define success? But, it, but we're taking it even, even deeper of how do you define success for yourself as an individual versus what's success for a business, yeah. right? And, and separating the, and combining the two. Yeah. Right? And it's always comes down to the expectation of the shareholders. That's what it is. That's how you define it. So if it's, we're going to scale to a billion dollars, you know, or even a $50 million or even a seven figure poly, like a business like poly pet isn't successful. But if you scale it back to the the point where it is now, it's successful. It's a, it's a great example. But what you said earlier about, you know, you go to people for your own personal version of success and fulfillment reminds me of the quote, tiny dragon asked big panda. I think I've shared this with you guys too. Like what's more important? The destination or the journey, right? Tiny dragons asking that. And big panda says, the company, uh-huh. the people, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And so I think both matter, absolutely, depending on the frame with which you're looking through. Yeah. You know what's yeah, funny about lens. that? We, we got right. a new, so it's fall ball, lacrosse. We got a new goalie, never been in the net at all. Picked up a stick two weeks ago. He's our goalie. He's our guy. 
Okay. okay. We call him Poe. <laughs> He's this big old dude that he called him Poe. He's Kung Fu Panda. So he brought yeah. up Panda. I was like, immediately went. Yeah. But it's interesting because watching the team play with a brand new. So again, for those of you who didn't hear, we won state champs last year. And uh, we had our goalie was number three in the nation at time for a save, save percentage. I mean, freaking phenomenal. Got a scholarship to go play college. Um, didn't even think he'd have the chance to. And now we're dealing with a brand new goalie. Picked up a stick two weeks ago. Been in the net twice now. And it's interesting, the company, how the team comes and rallies around him and is like, we got this. We got you. We're here for you. It's interesting how team is, I think, success comes in a lot of different ways. And you're right. How, what's that concept of what's more important, the destination of the journey? And it's the company is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's probably why I go to team more than anything. And, and maybe it's also to the, to at the, the place I am in my own personal life where I would rather, I would rather sacrifice the opportunity for the right people mm. personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go a little deeper into product market fit. Um, I, I want to read off three of the major signs that you have product market fit and would love to hear what come to mind for you. But number one, exponential organic growth. Number two, high user retention, 40% plus. Number three, a three to one return on acquisition. So MER or ROAS. Those are like, if you Google signs of product market fit, um, if you Google definitions of product market fit, if you ask chat GPT, these are some of the top three that reoccur and come up most often. Some of this is also category driven, by the way. Yeah. It's defined by the category and the inherent behaviors in that category. So I'd like, you know, like for example, um, like a supplement company will have like a returning rate of 50% plus 60, 70%. Whereas like a jewelry brand will have like a 20 to 30%. Mm. So there's benchmarks within that, but yep. go ahead. You were going to say something. No. And I think it's interesting because if you break those down, how do those fit in the formula that we talk about all the mm. time? Right. Because you've got, um, you've got your, 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 um, organic growth, right. Which is customer volume or customer volume, buyer frequency in yeah. that same scenario. Right. You've got your yeah, buying and telling others, right. Like right? Buying that and word of mouth kind of, you've got your, you've got your average order volume in, in the number of times they buy. So, so it's, it's interesting how you can break this down to something you can execute on specifically. But the other side of that is, and I totally agree with you, Dave, is that, that there's a scenario Talking about PolyPet, we didn't see wide organic growth, but it's dude, it still has like a 68, 72% return customer rate. So the customers that are buying are loving it, right? But we, there's so in that scenario, from a successful standpoint, it's 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 not the wide ver- range of organic growth. Um, but it is one of those, it, I think it hits one of those three. So how would, what would you say there? Is it, is it all, all three? Right. Is it an and, or is it an and or, 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 you know what I mean? So yeah. how, how do you yeah. qualify that? I think uh, again, go ahead. You were going to say something. No, I was going to just reiterate what you said. It goes back to who owns the company, who are the stakeholders, yeah. who are the equity holders, who's on the cap table. Yeah. Right. And what are they holding the company to, right. As terms of growth and success. Right. If you're looking at Silicon Valley, SaaS, VC backed 
standards of unicorn chasing unicorn status, that's a very different world in how they talk about product market fit, right. right? They get millions of dollars in funding, aren't profitable at all, and try to seek profitability and like, rah, 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 hooray, we found profitability, right? Where there's a whole other camp of business that's like, you're not in business if you're not profitable from day one, right? Yep. Bootstrapped. What's like, on the bank? Yeah. Cash flowing, like you're positive. And so, you know, if you talk product market fit to this camp, right? Yeah, you would probably want to, you need to check all three of these because you're still searching for profitability or expanding after that, right? If you're talking, pro, if you're talking like product market fit or success to bootstrapped, you know, profitability means you're successful at some degree, right? Yeah. To how much it can actually scale, you know, yeah. at what level do you define true product market fit, right? Or, or in other words, are you the category king, right? Um, market share you know, owning market, owning the largest market yeah, share market right? share and market penetration but it's but, funny because we talk about revenue levels a lot as an indicator of product market fit we've used a, seven figures or like a million dollars as like a, an, an early sign and just scrolling through twitter before we hopped on i saw somebody talking about they don't even consider it until it's five million hmm. which is funny because i even think that's probably even better indicator to some degree, but I've also come into businesses. But again, it all goes back to profitability, right? How long yeah. can it be sustained? Right. So I've so. come into businesses where they're at like a quarter of a million and we hit a product that fit the mar market perfectly and it took off to 3 million. And then the next year we got it to 4 million and it never went past that. So either the market wasn't big enough for it to keep going or, and then they readjusted their expectations and it's just been a cash flowing business for the last three or four years. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting how expectation plays into this conversation more than anything. Yeah. Right. What do you define success as? And, and, and I'm going to pull this into a personal scenario, right? Relationship wise. What do you define success in your relationship? Because if we're really talking about like, this is the, the growth podcast from a personal standpoint, where do you where growth do you, hammer fifth podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where do you define where do you f define success for yourself, for your relationship, for your company, for your career? It's all subjective, right? I mean, I grew up, my parents, highly successful, highly successful. Five kids, school teachers in, the, in, in, in this little town of Reedley, California. My dad, I would like make fun of my dad about like, all he does is sit there and says, hey, class, he was a photography teacher. You guys have your assignment. The dark room's open. If you have any questions, come ask me. <laughs> that's all he did. I mean, he, he, he's more than, but that's what we saw he did, right? Yeah. Super quality of life. So if, you're, if your expectation is quality of life, I mean, they had their summers off. He had five amazing kids. His youngest was the freaking <laughs> the most amazing out of all of them. Um, but if you have that, if you have that set that expectation for what your life is, then, then, then you can find happiness and you can find success in almost anything. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back, taking it back to business a little bit, to who you decide to do business with, the company, right? Because who are you going to start a business with? Your co-founders. But also, are you going to make the decision to take on capital or not, right? Uh, funding or, or VC? Because ultimately, the expectations for the business are going to be determined by your partners and your investors, right? Right, and and you yourself. But unless you're a solopreneur, right? Unless you're a hundred percent sole owner, 
expectations are going to come outside. And even as you grow a business, other expectations are going to come from a C-suite, from employees, from team members, from other things, right? So our expectations are always going to be influenced by the people, the company. I'm working right, with somebody us. right now who worked for a brand who shall remain nameless, but uh, you guys actually modeled some of our content strategy off of them. They, they didn't exit, but they took on about a hundred million mm-hmm. in funding. Um, and when you talk to them about what happened after that, a lot of like toxic culture gets thrown around and things weren't the same. And it's because of those expectations, those external expectations that came along with that funding. And I remember when we were selling, there was a lot of, you know, like my wife in particular had been through an exit before and she was like, get ready. You know, this is, this is what's going to happen. A, B, C, and D. And I remember talking to Todd and he was like, that's not going to happen. They're here to help. No, they're here to get a return on their investment. And they're going to do it by any means necessary because that's the expectation of their shareholders. Yeah. So again, it, like to your point, I love how this has kind of shifted to expectation and of su- what success actually means. Because we could talk, we could say market all day long, but within market, there are sub markets that are small that could create thri- a thriving business, cash flowing business for someone. Absolutely. Yep. So then how do you manage that? Ex- let's, let's go to the scenario you just talked about. Like, when you're dealing with outside influences, helping to adjust expectations, how do you manage that? How do you manage that as a leader? How do you manage that as an individual? Because if you're working in a company and your career base being management level or you know senior management level, the expectations are being set outside. Look, this takes me to one of my favorite quotes of all time, which is all frustration stems from unmet expectations. Yep. All of it. If you're ever frustrated, stop and say to yourself, what was I expecting to happen? What was I expecting them to do to say, or this, how was I expecting this, this situation to unfold? And once you can be honest to yourself and then ask the second question, did I communicate that expectation to a child, to a spouse, to a employee, to a boss, right? And that's where I think the power of setting expectations comes in clarity and repetition in communication, right? That's why I love job descriptions. Yeah. That's why I love some of these things because it's a flag for setting expectations. It's one opportunity and one chance, not the only, and maybe, maybe not even the best, but it is, it is one, right? And so I think all forms of communication written and documented right? And, and job descriptions and company agreements and policies. Sure. Right. But verbal, right. Voicing it, asking for what you want. Like, so ask the, the first question that you asked to kick this off. What matters most in determining how successful a business will be? Expectation. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. The expectations put on the business by the people owning and running the business. Yeah. Your expectation of what you're doing to begin with, which ties into vision. Yeah. So there's a level why Mark doing, why you're doing it and where you're going. Yeah. With I mean, it, he right? looked at it a very logical, like tech guy way, probably Silicon Valley way, but like there's a immeasurable tier to that. And I'm pointing over to our whiteboard behind the lights, but yeah, it's expectation. Yeah. It's vision. Well, and think about this in, in, in other conversations we've had, we've talked about, how, and you talked about communicating expectation, reputation, the key to learning and all that, but it, it comes down to the North star. 
Mm-hmm. We've talked about the concept of the North Star. If you can pivot and move in a company really quickly if your North Star is set. And doesn't change. And doesn't change. Yeah. yeah. That North Star is the expectation. Like if we're all driving towards a single expectation, that North Star, that whatever is whatever we set as the vision or the structure of the company that we want to hit, then quick moves and shakes and changes and hey, we talked about this, but now we're doing this. All fits because they can say, oh, I see how it aligns to the North Star. Expectation, you're right, man. And that's not even part of, of play bigger or in or you know, any of these ones that we've been talking about as far as how do you define success? It comes down to setting proper expectation. When in play bigger, do do they talk about when they talk about category creation, do they talk about size of category or anything like that or subcategory? Yeah, I mean, one of Dave's Three questions. Dave was one of the authors of Play Bigger. Is you know, if you were to own eighty five percent of the category, how big would you be? Okay, right. I mean, so yeah, that's part of the category design construct. How big is the market? Right. How big is the TAM? The opportunity size. Right? Has anybody ever owned eighty five percent without it being a monopoly, or is that just like a thought exercise? I, it's just a thought exercise. Okay. I think. I mean, I think at some level he's asking these you know founders and potential founders to like try to do some math on it, but like a 10 X type activity. Yeah. 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 Man, I, I love, I love where this came to and, and where it all circled back. And I, and I appreciate Dave asking the question again, because it does, it's your own expectations because here's the challenge. And, and we say this a lot and I, and I know that there's other thoughts in this is comparison is the thief of joy, but comparison can't be the thief of joy. If we're, if we're tracking, how our company is doing relative to numbers and structures and things like that. Right. But if we set the proper expectation, working towards and comparing ourselves towards that expectation is the ultimate growth mechanism Mm. as a company. Yeah. That's essentially a forecasting exercise too. I think that people get wrong. Leaving this episode, we want to make sure that you challenge yourself to be honest in answering the question, what is most important and what matters most to your success in the company that you're starting, but to your success as an individual. Without that self-awareness, without that honesty, you will go nowhere. And so starting there by answering honestly, by looking at the expectations you're setting for yourself and for your company and the expectations set on you by others and getting very clear about that, you'll make more progress in doing that thought exercise than lots of books or lots of podcasts combined. So we challenge you to take the time to do that.